was Matthew chapter number 8. Uh, while you're getting there, Steve, I really appreciate that um, little story. I'm hoping it's true. Uh, it reminds me, though, um, that, you know, we all need to be able to have those comebacks for people. You know, that was, what, what happened is is um, the, the person who got their hair cut uh, saw a logical fallacy that the barber had. There are no, there's no God because there are um, homeless people. And they, they and had the opportunity then and found a good way to go back in and, and tell them, you know, what you believe is, is logically, it, it's not right. It, it, there's, a, there's a fallacy there. And um, that's something that I would like for us to be able to do. And uh, we're looking right now at some different ways that we can um, just put those tools in our toolbox, if you will, uh, because there's no one tool does not fit everything. For you guys who are, are builders and who know mechanics at all, um, you know, you, you can use a screwdriver for a thing that uh, has a screw, but sometimes you need a hammer, sometimes you need a wrench, sometimes uh, a crowbar. You know, one tool doesn't fit all. And it's the same way when you're witness to people. You know, sometimes you, need to, you just need to share with them the love of Jesus and let them see your life. Sometimes you need to knock the shine off of their argument, like, like the person in the story, and say, look, you know what, this is why uh, what you're saying is wrong. And then let them uh, have to make a decision, because ultimately it comes down to whether they make a decision or not. So I'm just going to throw that out there, that um, we're looking at um, some different ways that we can have some uh, Bible studies or some uh, maybe some men's groups or something that we can start going through these uh, foundations of apologetics, uh, foundations of um, the way we think so that we can share the gospel more effectively. So just to put that on your radar screen for um, coming up later, um, and hopefully we can all have those opportunities that we uh, can see someone who you know, throws out an argument that's just off the wall, and we can at least give them a choice and say, your argument's messed up. Um, now here's here's the opportunity. Here's your choice, right? Um, so that comes down to faith and a choice. Now let's uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Holy Spirit. We invite you to be here once again. Look, thank you that you have been here uh, already this morning through um, through the the worship time and just as we as we've gathered together. Your word says that. When two or more come together in your name, that you're there with us. So thank you for being here. And I ask that you would be here as I'm um, sharing your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll meet every need. Whether it's something that I am sharing specifically or not, I pray that you'll speak to every heart. Everyone who has come and just said, I need to hear X, Y, and Z from the Lord. I need to hear something. I pray that you'll, you'll answer their prayer, that you'll speak to them. Lord, use me. If there's something that I need to say that I haven't prepared, Lord, I pray that you'll put that in my, in my mouth. If there's something that I have prepared that I don't need to say, I ask that you'd remove it and, and clamp your hand over my mouth before it comes out. Lord, I pray that you'll um, ultimately help us to become more like you. Let Help your word to go forth and to shape us and to bring us much more into the mold 
of Jesus so that we can walk, walk like you, talk like you, share the gospel like you did, and have the same impact on our world in this generation just like you did. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, is anybody in Matthew chapter number 8? Matthew 8. All right, we've been going through, um, Joe, I've got a few slides up there. We've been going through uh, faith, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. I found some um, slides from some, some different people. Some of them I know who it was, and some of, some of them are not, um, don't have the author listed from these sayings. Um, believing in yourself is the first secret to success. Go ahead, Joe. This one uh, is one of those posters that says, Believe. When you believe something can be done, your mind will find the ways to do it. Believing in a solution paves the way to a solution. This is from David Schwartz. Um, David Schwartz is um, an American motivational writer and, and uh, coach. You must find the place inside yourself where nothing is impossible. This is from Deepak Chopra. He's a, um, from India, uh, kind of a, um, an alternative medicine uh, guru. He's in the New Age. But you must find the place inside yourself where nothing is impossible. Go ahead. Belief. The thing always happens that you really believe in, and the belief in a thing makes it happen. Frank Lloyd Wright. Most of you will recognize that name. He's an architect and a designer and educator. Your belief determines your action, and your action determines your results. But first, you have to believe. Mark Victor Hansen. Um, this is the one who he wrote uh, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul. So he's a, a big-time author, has lots and lots of books. He's also a, a um, motivational speaker. Create the highest, grandest vision possible for your life because you become what you believe. Oprah Winfrey. If you believe it will work out, you'll see opportunities. If you believe it won't, you will see obstacles. This is from Wayne Dyer. He's a, um, a self-help and quote-unquote spiritual author. Believe creates the actual fact from William James. William James is a, a leading 19th century uh, philosopher, um, psychologist, and educator. And then you have, it should be done for you as you have believed from Matthew 8, 13. You know, a lot of these authors, I don't know um, the, uh, I don't know their faith. Some of them I can definitely guess. Um, a lot of them are probably not Christians. Uh, I'm going to say that at the outset. But you know, God oftentimes puts things in people's hearts uh, that are as an, has an element of truth. For example, you go back and look at 
the writing, uh, Socrates didn't write, but the sayings, Socrates, Plato, um, there are elements of truth there where they are so very close to the truth without quite getting there. And a lot of people have an element of truth. Example, some of these, it's believe in yourself. And, and we as Christians know, yes, we have to have some sort of belief in ourselves, but really the, our ultimate belief stands on another rock, which is Jesus. Right? But Jesus, in the story that we're going to look at today, says, he says, um, go, as you have believed, it's been done. So my question to you is at, at the outset, if, if Jesus said that to you, as you've believed, it's been done. As you've believed, it's been done. What would your life look like? As you've believed, it's been done. I, I'm saying it that way. It's been done because it's, it's an actual, it's kind of a past tense. Uh, there, it, it's been done. Uh, it's, it will be done, but it's kind of a surety thing. That I'm putting in the past tense to show you it is absolutely sure. As you've believed, it's been done. What would your life look like? Let's look at this passage real quick. Starting in verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is... Uh, lying paralyzed. It's actually, he's been thrown down paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Or actually, it, it could even be a question there. Jesus said to him, you want me to come and heal him? But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm also a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to the another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were falling, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith in anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. They'll be thrown out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, as you believed, it shall be, it shall be done for you, or it's been done for you. And the servant was healed that very moment. Now, this passage is full of paradoxes. When you look at this passage, especially a, a first, second century Jewish person, when they look at it, they'd probably go, what? What? You're kidding. Really? Let me, let me show you. First of all, you, you look at a centurion. Uh, this is a Roman, uh, what, would, what we would probably call a captain. A centurion, the, it's century 100. He's over 100 soldiers. Um, but he is um, kind of the, uh, the, the, the rank of the one with the soldiers. 
right? So a captain is someone who is, he um, is an officer, but at the same time, he's one who is with the soldiers. He's taking orders, but he's not up here you know, uh, making all the orders in an upper echelon. He's one who is actually with the soldiers giving the orders. So this is, the centurion is a kind of a captain um, in the area. He's got soldiers underneath him. More than likely, he's under Herod's rule. Herod had um, Roman, uh, Roman, uh, Roman guards, Roman officers, or people from the army who Herod had access to. So he is in um, Capernaum, or right in the area, uh, under Herod. But he is a Gentile Roman soldier. Right, so keep that in mind. He has a, a servant, or uh, yours might say a, a lad, a child. Um, it uh, the word could be servant. It could be could be son. They're taking that from the parallel passage in Luke that says servant. So he's got a servant that's been thrown down and paralyzed, fearfully tormented. So the the first thing you've got a a Roman guy who's going to a Jewish rabbi saying my servant is ill romans and jews kind of mix like water and oil all right it's not so much so you've got a centurion and and in the parallel passage in luke you find out that the guy it was very um he was really pro-israel pro um pro uh, he was very helpful to the jewish cause so this was a, a one who is probably a, what they would call a God-fearer, okay? But at the same time, you've got a centurion, a Roman Gentile, who's asking a Jew. And actually, he didn't even ask. He goes to Jesus and just says, My servant's sick. There's not even a question there. My servant's sick. He's been thrown down and paralyzed. And a lot of people make Jesus' response into a question. Well, do you want me to come and heal him? Again, the paradox. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi at the time, would he go into the, to the Roman centurion's home? This is totally taboo. If, if, if a Jewish person went into a Gentile's home, they became unclean. It was not legal, if you will, in the, in the Jewish culture for the, a Jew to enter into the home of a Gentile. So here you have another paradox. Jesus saying, hey, you want me to come and heal him? The centurion says, no. <laughs> he said, uh, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Wait a second. That's supposed to be the Jewish line, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not going in there because I, I can't go into And he's saying, no, I'm not worthy. For you to come under my roof. You see the paradox? A centurion who is over, he's, he's a Gentile. I mean, he is over the Jews. Right? They are a subjugated people to Rome. And he's saying, you're not worthy to come under, or I, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. For I'm a man under authority. Now, see, here's another thing. I'm a man under authority. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. I know how this works. I'm under authority. Wouldn't, wouldn't, 
you say, Jesus, boy, you've got, you got this huge amount of authority. I, I, you, you, are, you are the son of God. You are, are royalty. You are this great um, king of kings. And No, I know how this works. I'm a man under authority. Just say the word. If I say to someone, go, he goes. If he come, he comes. Now Jesus heard this and he marveled. This is an a interesting word because of Jesus, my understanding is it's only used twice. This being one of them. That he marveled at a Gentile and at a Gentile's faith. The only other time it says that Jesus marveled is when he was with his own people and he marveled at their lack of faith. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following, so in the guy's hearing, but not to him, said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not, not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. So the ones that Jesus came to, the Jews, he said, I haven't found faith with you guys. I found it this guy. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. And the idea comes from Isaiah that there's a great banquet and that those who are, are saved, if you will, those who are of, of, um, the, of the kingdom of heaven, the, so the, the righteous believing Jews um, from the Old Testament, I'm, I'm saying it that way because um, uh, at the time, Jesus had not died and rose again, okay? That they would come and they would have a great banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for eternal, um, uh, for eternity, okay? This is their idea of eternity. So he's talking to everybody who are, are Jews around him and saying, the people are going to come from east and west and they're going to come and, and, and sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the sons of the kingdom... They'll be thrown out. It's kind of the, the word, there's a word play there. And I, you might have noticed I, I said a couple of times with the, um, with the servant, it said he was, he was thrown down and paralyzed. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar word uh, with just a preposition added. That they'll be thrown out. So the one who was thrown down actually was raised up by Jesus. And the ones who thought they were supposed to be in the, in the banquet hall, were thrown out. They'll be cast into outer darkness in a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go. It should be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So the great faith of a Gentile captain in the army. There's a lot of paradoxes in there. And the reason I believe there's so many paradoxes is so that we will stop and look and listen. It's kind of like saying, um, you know, if, if one of the least of these it can happen to, it can happen to you too. That there's nobody that is so far 
removed that they cannot have this kind of faith. Because if it can happen to a Gentile person in the army, it can happen to anybody. Because they're not the ones that are supposed to be, at this time, saved. They're not the ones that are supposed to be chosen. They're supposed to be the worst of the worst. Right? So, the paradox is, if this can happen for this guy, it can happen for anybody. Especially you all. So how do we have this sort of faith, this sort of belief that, that makes Jesus marvel? Well, I wouldn't have that kind of belief where Jesus goes, wow, I've never seen faith like that before. You know, the first thing that um, I believe that we need to, to have to know, uh, to have that sort of faith is to know Jesus' character. I've talked about this a little bit in the last several weeks. Um, but you notice when the guy goes to Jesus, like I said, he didn't ask a question. All he said was, my servant's sick. He's been thrown down and paralyzed. And I believe it was because he knew Jesus' character. He knew that what Jesus would do. Now, we tend to do more like this. And I've done all of these, so you can, um, you can rest assured I'm not picking on anybody. We do have some simple requests, if I were sick. Oh, Lord, would you please heal me? Then you might have the begging. Oh, Lord, I'm so sick. Would, would you, could you please, could you find it, please? I, I'm not... Would you find it in your heart to please do something and heal me? You might have the contract. Lord, if you would please heal me or heal so-and-so, I promise I'll go to church for the next five years. I won't miss a single Sunday. You might even have the ultimatum. Lord, I've had it. If you don't heal me, I'm never setting foot in that church again. You might have the bold declaration. I'm coming to you and I am healed. And I'm going to walk it out. You have the quotation prayer. Lord, in your word, it says that you are uh, our healer. It says that you are the balm of Gilead. It says that by your stripes I am healed. Would you heal me? Or would you heal so and so? Then you know we get into the Jesus name. Do you say it before or do you say it after? In the name of Jesus, Lord, would you heal me? Or he might go, Lord, would you heal me in Jesus' name? And, and now, if it, you really need it badly, you say it louder with more force. So if it's a headache, it's heal the headache in Jesus' name. If it's something bigger, it's would you heal this in Jesus' name, right? Come on. And just to make sure, you do it twice. 
So in Jesus' name we come to you, and then you ask, and then you say, in Jesus' name again, right? I did make fun a little bit. But to show that, you know, it really doesn't matter how we ask if we know the character of Jesus. And oftentimes, and I'm, I'm guilty, I, like I said, I'm guilty of every single one of these, okay? I've done every single one. I've probably done every single one about in the last month, okay? But if we know the character of Jesus, it doesn't matter how you ask because you know what he's going to do. All the centurion did was come up and say, my servant's sick. And he knew what Jesus was going to do. So when we come to him with a request, let's not put a spin on it. Let's find out who he is. And I know you guys know. But let's get to know his heart. Let's get to know, what is he going to do if I ask this, if I say this? Do I need to say it a certain way? No, not really. Because he loves you. And he cares about you. Is there a certain formula? No, he showed that there's not really a formula. Right? Sometimes he said, he said the word. And he said it from a distance. By the way, this, um, this did not happen very often that he healed somebody from a distance like this. Sometimes he said it from a distance. Sometimes he spit on the ground and rubbed it on somebody. Sometimes he stuck his, their, his fingers into somebody's ears. By the way, would that freak people out if I spit on the ground and rubbed it in somebody's eyes? How many here would be freaked out if I did that? Okay? But this is what Jesus did. And I think sometimes he did it just to freak people out. <laughs> and that's okay. But he did it so that I think so that there wouldn't be this formula that we had. Oh, what you have to do is you, you, you do this and this and this and this and this, and then you will get this and this and this. No. You know his character. And then, for those who are praying, a lot of times there's an obedience thing involved. Spit on the ground, make some mud, and put on somebody's eyes. Maybe it's lay their hand, your hands on them. Maybe it's thump them on the forehead and say, you're good, go. Maybe it's, you just declare over them. You say, get up and walk. And Jesus did pretty much all of those. But it's out of his character. And what I want us to see is that we have a God. We have a brother. We have a Savior who loves us and who wants the best for us. And it's not about a formula. It's about who he is is and so as we start approaching him in faith we approach him on the basis of his character on the basis of who he is not on the basis of a formula not on the basis of how how loud can i get but on the basis of his character and then you believe that when you approach him he's going to act according to that character If you go to him and say, I I use this um, 
illustration a, a couple weeks ago. If you go to him and say, oh, oh God, would you, your, your word says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. So I'm coming to you for wisdom on how I can steal the Mona Lisa. You know by his character, right, that he will not grant you that wisdom. Right? Because he's holy, which is going to be our next point. But you also know on the basis of his character that he loves you and wants you to be well. He loves you and wants you to walk in health. He wants you to walk in prosperity. He wants you to walk in uprightness. He wants you to walk in strength. He wants you to walk free from from guilt and free from shame. He wants you to walk free from addiction. He wants you to walk free from all these different things, right? Because that's his character and that's who he is. So when you go to him on the basis of his character you know how he's going to act in advance. And that determines your faith. But as, as, as I said, we also know he's holy. The centurion said, hey, my servant's sick. Jesus said, you want me to come and heal him? And he said, no, no. I'm not worthy to have you come underneath my roof. Just because we know that Jesus loves us and cares for us, we also need to realize that we are coming before a righteous, holy, holy, set-apart king, judge, and God. The centurion knew his character, but he also realized that, that there was a holiness about Jesus that he couldn't even have him in his house. I think of a story when I was in college. Um, the president of our university had, had gone to a, a, um, a foreign country where they still had a king. And uh, the king wanted um, uh, our university president to, um, to meet with him. So he was given instructions on when you go into the king's palace, this is how you ha- have to act when you go into his, his courtroom. So you never, and, and the, the president was fairly tall. He had played basketball in college. So you never have your head above the king. So if the king is seated on his throne, on his throne you need to come in below. You, if you have to crawl on your hands and knees, you crawl on your hands and knees. You never get your head above the king. When you approach him, this is how you have to act. Was he a man? Yeah. Well, he's just another guy that God had created and put on the earth. But there was this, uh, this measure of, of respect that needed to happen. When we come to Jesus, we do on the basis of his character, but that doesn't mean we're flippant. We also approach him as holy. We approach him for who he is, a holy, holy Holy and wonderful God. So do we, do we go to him and say, yes, Lord, I'm sick. Heal me. Yes. But you also approach him in reverence. You approach him with respect. You, you, it, it's, it is, he, he's your closest friend, but you also, there's always that creator-creature distinction. There's always this, this essence that, you know what? He loves you, but he's this, he's this father that, that um, you know you, he loves you and you know that, um, that he will do anything for you, but at the same time, if you cross him, 
you know, he's he's got a leather thing that coming out of, you know, about eight belt loops will make you terrified. It's out of love, right? It's totally out of love. But at the same time, there's that, that respect that needs to take place. And as we come to him, we need to make sure that we're coming a basis, on the basis of his character, but at the same time, realize that he's holy. And we come to him in holiness, we come to him in respect, we come to him in, in reverence and in awe. We also need to realize Jesus' authority. You see, this is one of those, those paradoxes again. It's, uh, he, Jesus says, shall I come? It's, no, you know, he, he, um, you know he, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, but just say the word. I am a man under authority. You would expect him to say something different. I'm a man under authority. He, you, you'd expect him to say, I'm a man of authority. And when I, say some, tell, when I tell somebody to do something, boom, it, they do it. If I say go, they go. If I say come, they, they come. If I tell my, my servant to do this, he does it. If I tell my, my, uh, uh, all my troops to take that hill, they go up the hill no matter what. I'm a man of authority. I know you're a man of authority. And I know if you say the word, it'll happen. But he doesn't. He says, I'm a man under authority. He realizes that authority is delegated. For him, his authority was from the emperor. He had the full backing of the emperor in whatever command he gave. And if somebody didn't obey the command... It was, it was going above his head to above his head to above his head to the emperor himself could tell that person, right? That was where the authority came from. And he saw the same authority in Jesus. He realized that Jesus himself was a man under authority. That Yahweh God had put his stamp on Jesus. Right? And that when Jesus spoke, he spoke with all the authority of the one who had given him the authority. So the one who, as we had you know, read in the, in the book, um, in the, uh, theolo- the theology book not too long ago, that God spoke everything into existence. Right? Light be, and light was. Expanse be, and expanse was. Birds be, and birds were, right? Servant be healed, and servant was. Because it's the same authority from the Father through the Son doing the speaking. I know I've got, gotten into this myself. I, I know you probably have been in a situation or d- done the same thing. You know, I've, I've um, observed preachers and gone, boy, they just have so much authority. When they speak, they have authority. When they pray, they have authority. When they're, when they're praying over someone or when they're... De- 
I said, you know, the, history's got authority. Without really realizing or without at least acknowledging where that authority has come from. And with us, it's the exact same way. We need to realize the authority. We need to realize um, the authority that God has given to us or to others. Right? And he has delegated that authority. And when we get prayed for by someone and they're praying for you, is there any less authority in what they're saying than what, in what Jesus said? Because it's come from the same source. Right? We can stand on the word. It's come from the exact same source. When they say, I, you know, I pray that you are well, or I pray for wisdom for your job, or I pray for a job, or I pray for, you know, wh- wh- where's the authority coming from? Me? Oh, don't look at me, please. I don't have anything. But if you realize that the authority comes from the Father, and I'm a man under authority. And that authority gets delegated. And he allows me to speak on his behalf. That I can speak in the name of Jesus. And it's just the same words. So if Jesus were to say to you, as you believed, so it's been done. Individually, what would your life look like? As you believe, so it's been done. It's easy for us, even right now. I know, um, not recently, but you know, if I if I've I've been before, I've been around sick people, and all of a sudden, I'm I'm looking at every little thing in my life and going, "Am I getting sick? <coughs> am I am I coughing? <laughs> you know, I look internally, but it, that's a belief issue, right? Do I believe when I go into a job interview? Do I believe it, it, that, that I go, I'm going to walk into that and the blessing of God's going to favor it fall on me and, and things are going to go a certain way? Do I believe when I get into a situation where I need the wisdom of God that it's going to be right there at my fingertips? Do I believe that when, there is, uh, when there's more months than money? Anybody ever been there? There's more months than money that than money that... That, that God is somehow going to supply my need? And he's done it over and over and over? Or do we sometimes get into this other belief that when we can actually say, oh, it's not going to work out. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get to that point. I'm never going to get this job, or I'm never going to be it done according to your faith. That's individually. What, what about 
corporately? What about for, what about for this church? What are we believing for? Are we believing? You know what I'm believing for? I'm believing that we're going to have, I don't even know if, this, if it's even possible. I'm believing we're going to have to expand out this way, that we're going to have to take the wall out. We're going to have to, to, to get more chairs and, and put them in. That's what I'm believing for. I'm, I'm believing that it, we're, we've got people coming from all over the place. I'm believing they're going to stream in from, uh, from not just Willimantic, but from all over different areas. They're going to say, boy, there's something happening there. That's what, I want to be a part of what's, where something's happening. I'm, I want to be a part of where God sh- is showing up. What do we believe for this area? Do we, do we believe? Willimantic's a lost cause. University, it'll, it'll never. There's, it is so secular. There's no way it'll, it'll ever get anywhere close to God. Is that what we believe? We could believe that, but I'm encouraging you. Let's not. Let's believe that there's hope. Let's believe that Willimantic is going to, to, to turn around, that it's not going to be a place of drugs. It's not going to be a place of heroin. It's not going to be a place of addiction. That instead of the, the bottom 5% of Connecticut, it's going to be in the top 5%. Let's believe that this school up here that, that is very, very secular, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's been hard for Christian uh, organizations to get onto campus uh, at, the, at this university. It's been tough for them. They've made it difficult. But let's believe it's going to switch around, that, that, that God will, will change the hearts of the administration and, and put um, uh, new professors in or, or change their hearts, people that, that love the Lord and believe in Scripture and, and want to see a change in students and, and want to see um, students come to know Jesus. Can that happen? Absolutely. Will it happen if we don't believe it? I'm going to say God oftentimes gives us a lot of grace. And he'll surprise us. And he'll do things that we don't even think or ask or even believe. And I'm really grateful for that. Because he does. And I'm really grateful that he sometimes looks at me and even when I don't have faith, he'll say, you know what, I'm going to give you a good gift anyway. But even these secular folks that don't believe in the gospel at all realize there's something about believing that causes things to change. And how Jesus the Father often works, and I believe most often works, is that when we believe it, when we believe, and I'm not saying you just believe things off the wall. I'm saying you believe what's in Scripture, and you believe what He said, and you really can take you take it to the bank, and you say, "This is what He said, and this is what I'm going to stand on. I'm going to believe it." That moves heaven. And we'll start to see it. See it. 
I've been saying that this is year, a year of preparation. I believe this is one of the greatest things that we can do to prepare is to change how we think and to prepare our hearts and to begin to believe for bigger, to begin to believe for more, to begin to believe that God is, is, is going to do great things here with us. He's going to do great things individually with each one of us. That he's going to grant people jobs and that need jobs. He's going to grant people ways to do things. That He's going to grant wisdom. He's going to grant um, provision. He's going to grant health. He's going to grant all. He can, he can do all of that individually, corporately, with our area. If we'll get a heart for it and a belief that God can and that he will. Because that's his heart. Then we just listen and say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to be a part? What do you want me to do to be a part? Because I'm seeing it. I want you all to see it. I want you all to believe it. Then we're going to put our hands together. We're going to do it. Not because we have the authority, not because we have the power, but because it's delegated and it comes through us. And this God works through us, then great and awesome, wonderful things happen. So this week, why don't you you seriously ask yourself the question, if Jesus were to say that to me and give me everything that I am staking my faith and my belief on, what would my life look like? Is there a way that you can believe for more? and see your life change? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to have the faith as a centurion. I would love to hear you say, What amazing faith Ryan Duck had. What amazing faith that people of abundant life have. I love to be able to hear you marvel at our faith. Lord, show us how. Lord, show us how to get rid of any junk that's in our lives that's hindering that. Any words that we're continuing repeating coming out of our mouths. We keep saying that 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 we really don't want to happen. Addictions that need to be 
broken, Lord, let those be broken. Thought processes that we just, they may be from before we were even saved. But Lord, we need to get rid of those things. I pray that you'll show all of us, convict us, show us all those things that we need to get rid of so that we can walk in the faith of the centurion. And Lord, I ask that you'd show us what to believe. The great things, Lord. Lord, your word says that things that we can't even imagine what you have planned. Lord, show us those things so that we can join our faith with yours and believe for what you're believing for. In our life individually, the life of this church, this area, this whole area of the state, We thank you for it. Lord, I bless each person here today, those who are watching at home. In the name of Jesus, the authority that you've given to me, I bless them with life and health. I bless them with strength, renewed strength, with prosperity. I bless them with joy. Bless them with peace. For those who are not feeling well today, I've heard of more than one that's at home because they're not feeling well. I, I speak health and strength to return to their bodies immediately. Whatever's wrong, doesn't matter. That word goes forth to bring life and health and strength into those bodies. Lord, I pray that you'll seal it by your spirit. Lord, I pray for protection too. Lord, as there's still some snow and ice around, I pray for your protection as people walk, as people drive, as they're getting in and out of their cars. Lord, that uh, your protection would be upon each person here, those who are watching at home, that you would um, place your hand upon each one and that nothing would be able to come near any one of us to harm us. No demon of hell, no accident, injury, no sickness, no disease, that your hand of protection would be on each and every one. Thank you for it, Lord. We'll give you all the glory and praise. Amen.